Welcome to today's episode of Make Smart Sexy. My name is Karen, and I'm a health and wellness coach. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast review of the week. Another five-star rating by TV Console for episode nine. Hey Karen, thank you for making this podcast with Anna Marie. It is so informative. I've learned much from it. Keep making this. Kudos. Oh, thank you, TV Console. Appreciate it. Now today I have my guest, my favorite guest, back again, and this is your third time. And she is Anna Marie Dorillion. Now Anna Marie Dorillion, I'm not sure whether you guys uh, know, but I'm sure you guys know she is actually a behavior consultant, speaker, and board certified behavior analyst. Leading a team of clinicians at a friendly face, a company that she co-founded, and dedicated to the treatment of autistic children, and uh, so I'm so happy and honored to have Anna Marie in my show today. And today, right, we're going to talk about um, this topic which just came up. It's very unplanned, but um, it's really about the power of change within oneself. Whether the power of change from within is from within or through empowerment. I hope I'm actually speaking sense. <laughs> okay, so is the power of change from within or through empowerment? Yeah. All right. So Anna Marie, welcome to Make Smart Sexy. Thanks for having me again, Karen. That's my pleasure. I love your show, by the way. I Thank spent you. like like um, a couple of days, one day, just driving around, doing running around here. And playing your podcast one after the other. Oh. My favorite, by the way, was that breathing exercise mm. that you did with your audience. I'm glad you like that. The uh, three one six breathing technique. So, have you been yeah. using that on a nightly basis? Yes, I have been. Happy to say, I have been not as consistently because I remember you saying do it morning, noon, and night, but every night. Okay. Without fail, I've been doing it. So I'm just curious, how has that been helpful to you? Um, so I'm an incredibly intense person, like high energy and intense, and I carry a lot of stress and anxiety and tension in my body physically. Like I don't sit and mope or get all sad and down with stuff. But I internalize it, and it's exhibited through a lot of um, knots, mm. muscle tension. So I think it's helped me to realize, at the very least, how um, tense my my muscles are. When I, especially when I do the expiration part of it, I can feel it. Like, oh my goodness, um, it's very hard for me to relax my body physically I don't even know what it is how to do that you know people will say like if I get if I get a massage the masseuse will say just relax just relax and I don't necessarily know what that means um just relax your hands relax your shoulders so I'm always in a a state of of tension like Mm. even my dentist has said that um it looks like when I close my mouth immediately my my teeth would clench. Just a personality that I have. I think it helps me um, be the person that I am, helps me accomplish things. But at the same time, 
Of course, you know this. Um, this is right in your field. It's it's could be harmful also for you health-wise, physically. So anyway, the breathing makes me realize how tense my body is because it's actually an activity that um, helps me understand what it means to physically relax when I do that exhale, right? Mm -hmm. You say like, breathe in and have your abdomen be pulled out. And then when you breathe out, pull it back to your spine. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's when I realized, oh, so this is the state that you're in when you're relaxed. Because then all your limbs, like my limbs just kind of, you know, kind of become sort of like weightless. Mm. I don't know. Well, it's such a powerful like testimony that I'm actually hearing this in person. I mean, with you over, over Zoom, and it's uh oh, it's just so heartwarming. And oh, is it really? Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, it's like you know, it sounds to me like you have a very, very active mind, right? Like your brain is just no. like oh my gosh, right? like it traveling five G. I mean, it doesn't. It literally, <sighs> my brain just does not. It does not know how to stop. My body is sedentary, as you know, because you've been trying to get me to move. Um, you know, but I'm generally a restless person anyway. Like if I go to church and you see me sitting in a pew or like sitting on a certain chair, I you you can be guaranteed that during a one and a half hour service, you'll find me in five different spots in the church. Oh. <laughs> I'll get up, move, go to the bathroom, come back in a different seat. Get up, move. I mean, yeah. I start Cloning off in the same place. spot. Huh? <laughs> Cloning should take place. Cloning. Like clone Anna Marie. Oh. <laughs> Anna Marie is everywhere. That's right. Um, okay, so let's get back to the topic. Anyway. Today. <laughs> we can go like for hours, just like you and Bobby, huh? <laughs> yeah. Bobby okay. and I can go. Oh my gosh. He you called know. me last night, by the way. I mean, I don't know if your listeners know Bobby Capuccio, but mm -hmm. yeah. um, we're talking on like doing a room in the clubhouse and totally got derailed. And I said, this is why we need Karen to moderate for us so we can focus. <laughs> okay, I'm happy to. And it's free of charge. No cost. Yeah. <laughs> Pro bono. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so so let's back to... Uh, let's go back to this topic, um, Anna-Marie. So, okay. yeah, and this is also in your line of expertise right in your field so how could we get into this bit so like how do how does one person know that um or when is the right um time to say or should not say that i change people's lives because this is the interview that that spur this this thought that i have or the spur this interview because you and bobby talk about this right yeah. i think in this yeah, fitness yeah, yeah. profession this industry people say that a lot of trainers they credit themselves for changing people's lives yeah um, but but once you become a coach right then you not a sports coach or a fitness coach but a coach that understands behavior change then you want to be able to use the word empowerment so i want to empower people versus i want to change people's lives right yeah right. so could you elaborate elaborate about this yeah, and, so your yeah. your your original question um really was brilliant right you said um can change happen from within or does change come from empowerment? Mm -hmm. And based on the science of behavior, um, you, you really, 
there are no changes that can take place unless it happens first from within, right? When your MO is there, motivating operations. So there's got to be something internally motivating. And then, then there's an external stimuli that can help shape towards that goal, whatever that is, right? Um, Where you can achieve that. So, So I think both, Definitely, you need both. Mm. Um, there has to be. Um, I'm, I'm thinking. So my expertise is in behavior science, but I use that expertise mostly for families with, um, you know, children on the autism spectrum. But applied behavior analysis is used for for everything. I mean. In, in businesses and people and marriages and wherever people who are incarcerated, whatever um, it's used everywhere. So when we're thinking in terms of coaching, let's say where you affect people's lives and quote unquote, change people's lives, you cannot you yourself. I mean, just based on science, you yourself can't without a motivating operation, unless it's by violence or force. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can't, I mean, you can change. I changed you because I put a gun to your head or I changed you because, you know, um, something terrible will is waiting as a consequence unless you do exactly as I say. But in the absence of that threat, true, true change um, can't be accomplished just by the external stimuli. It's got to come from within. Um, so I don't think... I, even as a behavior analyst, where we change behavioral response or affect behavioral response, um, I can't claim to change people. I can claim to help change people, to put things in place, to motivate, to put reinforcers that are potent enough so that the person engages in an alternative response right? Mm-hmm. And it changed behavior. But to just say that, you know, I do it myself. Yeah. I mean, Karen, I'm guessing that when people say that, because I've had people say that to me, oh, I change people's lives, you know? Yeah. Um, and I always meet that with a certain level of um, skepticism. Well, okay, it's not true. I don't meet it with a certain level of skepticism. I actually have an aversion to it because I feel like it's sort of a godlike complex. Um, yeah. You know, I'm a believer. I know you are. To me, no one can change anyone but That's God. Right. Even that, even that biblically, God is available to yeah. help change us, right? To overcome certain things. Amen. But mm-hmm. God will not enforce himself on us. He's a gentleman. Even within our That's chain, right. we have to be active participant. We have, I mean, he is God and we have to give him permission for oh, that yeah. change, mm-hmm. right? We, yeah. we humans yeah. give God this, this all-powerful creator. We give him permission yeah. to change us. So how much less like, a random uh, person like you and me. I mean, I'm I'm a licensed behavior analyst. So in essence, I'm an expert in human behavior change, right? And yet I cannot 
claim that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because like I said, even God can't change you unless you permit him. So I certainly can't change anyone unless there's there's an active participation. Yeah. Well, I could say I empower people to change. I think the word, right, empowerment is so powerful. <laughs> I empower them to change versus I change, right? Um, yeah. And so I want to ask you, right, so what is, because you only even talk about the, from the within. So what does that mean from within? So how does we get motivation from within? Well, I mean, I don't know how it works um, for you guys, but I'm going to make an assumption yes, that you are, when it comes to coaching, um, and that, that's such so used everywhere now. Uh, so many coaches, right? Like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a business coach. I'm a life coach. I'm a... Um, I, uh, I'm a... I'm a, I'm a health coach. I'm a mindfulness coach i'm a behavior coach i'm a couple coach i mean you know i i i don't i don't know what's going on in that field i and and this is a bit of a tangent um and if you have coaches listening i'm probably not going to be quite popular among them um i feel like you know is there is there part of coaching that's just gifts versus training you know, like, are there, are, are there people, and I'm sure there are people in the field that are gifted to coach. Mm-hmm. So they pursue that. Or are there those that says, Oh, I need to do something with myself that can generate an income. Let me go be a coach. Um, and sometimes I think becoming a coach is like, well, you know, I'm bypassing um, maybe all the, re- the greater requirements that one needs to take to become like a doctor, let's say, or a true expert in in the field, and I'll take a few classes and now call myself mm-hmm. um, a life coach. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, I, I think if you're going to be a coach, definitely there should be this real genuine desire to help people and add value to others that there's sort of this knowing within your soul, right? that says, man, I want to affect people's lives. And then you're presented with this situation or that you yourself, you know, made some major changes for your life and said, you know what? I bet you other people are going through the same thing I'm going through and I'd like to help them. I think if you, you, you come from that space, then I think by all means be a coach. But, you know, you're always going to have char- charlatans out there mm-hmm. um, that's not going to be real. Anyway, having said all of that, I think in this field, when you say, well, how do we, you know, how do we put that internal motivation in your field, Karen, I would imagine that people reach out to you. Yeah, I I really want to. You don't solicit Mm -hmm. clients. Clients go to you. I mean, you can market yourself, but eventually clients go to you. And, And so when they go to you, that, that, motivating operation is already there mm-hmm. and then you just come in to empower that change yeah hey Anna-Marie, i just want to rewind back what you said earlier right and i wanted to really um pinpoint to you saying about the coaches and um, whether or not this you know like it's a calling like for me it's actually a calling right so for me when i when i 
um, empower an individual to really be the mm-hmm. change they want to see. Uh, to me, it's meaningful, right? It's purposeful. So I find a sense of meaning in that in that sense or in that in in you know for, for that. So when I like when Bobby when he first came to Singapore, right? When he talked about this or when he gave us this opportunity, right, to present himself as a coach to us, and I was like, wow, you know, like I want to be him. And of course, right, you know, I'm not him, but mm. but it's like you know, walking into his path, right, and and learning to be, yeah, to be a masterful coach. Of course, you know, I'm not there yet, but it's like really understanding the techniques, like motivational interviewing, appreciative inquiry. So these are the universal coaching techniques that we learned as a coach. But importantly, right, is really to, um. Is really to uh, create a very safe space, right, between mm-hmm. me and the client, right, and to really see that aha moment. So that to me, right, it's as uh, like, well, I get high on that. I get high when I recognize, like earlier, we talked about the breathing, right, the the, <laughs> the review that you gave me, the testimony, right. So that is like when I ask you, how has that been helpful to you, and you said, wow, it allows me to understand that I've got tension. So that is you yeah. knowing, having that sense of awareness already. Bang, that's it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. That is uh, like I got high. Just that's reinforcing, that right? Yeah, we call that right. reinforcement in, in behavior science. And I know you're legit. And I know you oh, know how I you. know you're legit. And oh. I, I told my husband this. Well, because I mean, here's here's an example why I I know that um, you know you really come from a place that's genuine and sincere as. Um, a coach or a person who wants to add value to others because you found out that my daughter has asthma and has been coughing a long time. So what did you do? You scheduled a zoom meeting to just teach her these breathing techniques. And then a couple of days later, you sent me a score sheet to see how bad her asthma was. Right. And then I sent Mm -hmm. you her score and then you said, Oh, so she could have light exercise. And then you followed it with two videos that she can engage in as, you know, exercise where you model certain exercises that she can engage in all unsolicited, all unpaid, all came from a place of wanting to help and add value because you've got this information and you heard that she's got this condition and you wanted to help. So that to me, that's legitimate. You know what I mean? That's real. That's genuine. Um, and I'm not saying that you no, know, you shouldn't monetize your your skill or your talent by all means. You know, everyone is worthy of their labor. But I think that's where you separate like genuine calling and gifting from those that's just kind of charlatans and going in here for whatever um, the reason may be. Um, so that that's how I knew, like, okay, you know, mm. you're you really are a person who legit, legitimately really want to help and add value to uh, others. That meant so much to me. Thank you. I just want to give thanks to God, my mom, my dad, and my cat. No, I don't have a cat, but yeah. <laughs> Told you, you need to get a pet. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah, thanks, Anna Marie. So, okay, so let's get back to 
to that again. So yes, inner motivation. Now, what about intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation? Help us understand the differences between that, right? Because a lot of people, they tend to be motivated by something um, internally or maybe some, like for example, food. Um, a lot of people, a lot of my clients, they see food as a reward, and and it's like they yeah. only see food as a reward. Like, like yeah. I was like, isn't there any other thing that you could see as a reward? Perhaps a massage or maybe more exercising. But no, <laughs> like they want to have a feast on the weekend, right? A buffet. Okay, so go. Yeah. So there are things that are just, um, just just based on instinct. Right. So we've got that that motivation to eat because hunger is just there. Right. Um, yeah. Motivation to rest, to sleep, because tiredness will be there. Um, so there there are things that are just inside of us, just human instincts. Right. That will bring up our MO if you do some type of deprivation. I think you and I talked about deprivation. Right. So yeah. it increases your motivation to access the reinforcers so like if i'm deprived of food and i haven't eaten all, unless you're anna marie who can go hours and hours <laughs> and hours without eating and experience hunger pains um because i'm working non-stop and i'm hyper focused until seven o'clock at night usually the average person will say oh gee i'm hungry i've got food deprivation it increases my um hunger um, and so now the reinforcer, which is food, I, I want to access. So there are those things that are just based on our instincts as human beings. We just have those intrinsic um, motiv motivation, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I think in general, though, all the other stuff, there's, there's an external variable that affect what can happen internally, right? There yeah. really is. There's mm -hmm. some kind of an input that takes place. So there is a need for um, external stimuli to kind of stir up internally what's going on and motivate us to desire to do something. So there is that. Um, but I think unless the outside truly is able to connect with the internal part, like there's mm. sort of some type of a hunger inside of us to change a hunger inside of us to better ourselves a hunger to succeed right unless yeah. there's already some level of that then um you're not you're not going to be able to um motivate that person yeah um so so i mean i think by way of the the words themselves i mean helps define it intrinsic and extrinsic means inside and outside the two are connected they don't have to be mutually exclusive i think i take issue on saying it's external stimuli that costs you to change my argument with that is no mm. there's an internal factor and i am an active participant of my change and you are powerless over me unless i myself as the client I'm an active participant of that. You really cannot change me. You can only motivate me, empower me, help my mind shift. You can be a, the, the guide for my change. Yeah. 
Well, that's very valuable. Yeah, so so you, let's unpack a bit because you say a lot of valuable things, right? I just want to give you one example that I got a text tonight from somebody, and she said that she, um, you know, has because she has stopped exercising with me, and uh, and then apparently she has been very stressed at work. And uh, and then she actually was admitted mm. to the hospital last week due to indigestion. That's one. And then she said that she's now becoming a muffin top. Mm-hmm. She's a muffin top. And then two and then three is like she has a lot of aches and pain now okay. compared to mm-hmm. when she started. And then so then I I was like oh wow it sounds like you have had a you know very hectic um, work schedule right. So then I shared something with her. I mm-hmm. so I shared my pricing so i said my pricing has changed since our last conversation and this is the new pricing not that a lot has been changed just that the the duration right mm-hmm. the duration that the number of sessions equate to this price and then she replied saying oh um i'm actually moving house and i think i need to look at my budget and that's it so that get that got me to think right so so it sounds like she's not hungry right even though she said a lot of things Right, it's like she doesn't have that mm-hmm. hunger to change. Am I correct mm-hmm. for saying that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think um, you, you, it really is true. You can lead a horse to water, mm. but you cannot make them drink. Yeah, right. That's right. really it. I mean, <laughs> I know it's such an old cliche, but that's really what a coach can do: yeah. lead you to water. The drinking is on me, oh, really, yeah. at the mm-hmm. end, you know, at the end of the day. And, I mean, we hear these stories all the time. What does it take for a person to change? Like, let's say someone who's, who's, who's hooked on substance abuse, right? Yeah. Or someone who's just neglecting their family because they're so caught up in work and success and wealth. Sometimes you have to lose everything. You have to have deprivation of all the other stuff yeah. for that internal motivation to really fully kick in, to allow external stimuli to empower you towards change. Sometimes that has to happen, you know, and a yeah. lot of times, you know, uh, we, we live, I don't know how it is in Singapore, but in the United States, we live in a world of convenience, Right, no, we got so fast food restaurants, mm-hmm. you know, microwave here. We we don't know how to wait, and even the changes in me, for me to be to to make some changes that I want to see in my life that frustrates me, unless it comes through with a level of convenience, then I'm not going to participate in it. Yeah, yeah. But I think it, you need to get to a point where there, there is a certain level of deprivation. So then it increases your motivating operation. It increases that hunger. And there's just nothing you can do about people like that. Um, yeah, so what, what I'm hearing is that... They, unless it's really... Go ahead. Yeah, unless you're saying... I, I mean, un, unless there's really, really issues in their lives that prevent them to like... Really, yeah. I can't because of X, Y, Z. But I feel like in a situation like that, there would be a bargaining that would take place. Like, well, okay, yeah. can I just get a little bit of this so I can access some of it? I mean, you know, we really, yeah, you you can't, I, I said this, 
in, in Bobby's podcast, unless the person is really a part of it, mm-hmm. committed in it, the change won't be long lasting. This is why we've got mm-hmm. like people that are yo-yos with their, their weight or, or exercise regime and things like that. Yeah, like I like to put up, you know, like usually in the first consult, I usually I say that my my role as a coach is not to tell you what to do or how to run your life, right? Like I want to create a partnership with you, to co-collaborate with you, right? To really be an accountable partner with you or for you, right? And if you're 100% committed, I'm was 100% committed because we don't want to waste each other's time and money because this is really an investment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this is something yeah. that I would lay yeah. on the table, and this is really important as a coach to say that. Um, yeah, because we they are the captain of their own ship, so you know we just cannot control that for them. And also, you know, talk about earlier, talk about the um, the trigger. I think it's important about deprivation. It's about the the antecedent. Like, I love your podcast, by the way, listeners out there, like Anna Marie and Vlad, who is a husband, have the behavior, the, the, the behavior couple podcast. Um, and it's out now. So go check them out. Like, I love the first episode where you guys talk about the signs of behavior. I think we're going to dive into that a bit later, right? Yeah. Because you guys talk about the equation, which I never knew that there's such a thing, equation yeah. of behavior. I was like, wow, yeah. that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is something that um, helps me to understand as a coach is like there is actually empirical data and mm-hmm. evidence-based research that talks about the behavior. Because there are a lot of people that I've talked to, they just don't be- believe in behavior change. Um, you know, so it's like, what? You don't believe, you don't believe in behavior change? Like, what you're, in? We're, we're humans. We're, I mean, <laughs> if you're a human being, you engage in some sort of a behavioral response. I mean, yeah. that's just... <laughs> Yeah, so, and you engage in behavior. I mean, there's behavior changes all the time, maybe not in a massive way, impactful way, but I mean, we, yeah, it's silly to say that. Uh, to yeah. me, the, the people who say that do not truly understand um, behavior science or what behavior yeah. means. Yeah, I think we could just segue into the science behavior now. So share with us about the equation of behavior and let's, let's expound on that. Yeah. So there, there is a, an equation to how human be, beings behave, right? And it's really based on this three-term contingency, antecedent behavior consequence. So recall that the ABC, three-term um, contingency, the ABC. Um, we, we say that in behavior analysis. So what it means is there is an antecedent, something happens, there is a cue, there's a trigger, there's a stimuli in the environment um, that causes a person to respond, right? And that respond is that behavior. And behavior, we, we, we define behavior as anything that is observable and measurable. I can see it, I can measure it, right? Unless we go into Skinner's radical behavior, which is totally different. And we talk about this in the podcast, which are private events. Those are feelings and thoughts and emotions. But for the most part, definition of behavior is something that I can see, I can measure. So there's an antecedent that allows us to engage um, in a particular behavioral response. And what happens after that behavioral response, the consequence, determines whether that behavior will continue in the future or not. So 
antecedent. I see mom cooking in the stove. I am now curious as a five-year-old child to touch that stove. So the antecedent is that, this curiosity, this desire to touch. So the behavior is I touch the stove. And the consequence is my hand gets burned. So right? does antecedent equate to a trigger? Absolutely. Antecedents okay. are cues, uh, discriminative stimulus, um, you know, triggers, whatever. Um, anything that causes us to respond, right? Um, I mean, of course, when we say in behavior science, I don't want to get too uh, technical with my scientific terms, but we say that an SD is expecting a reinforcer, but that's just how human behavior works. So an mm -hmm. SD, so an antecedent, the A is there is a trigger. I, I engage in a behavioral response. What happens after that determines whether that behavior will happen in the future or not. So the trigger is, let's say the antecedent is a sad song that reminds me of my ex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the behavioral response is I go and I chow down a big giant hamburger and the consequence is I feel a little better. You know, I'm now full. Yeah. Somehow I'm not thinking so much about that sad time. I feel, I mean, I remember literally talking to someone who was, who went through a heartbreak and they were just eating nonstop in front of me. I was in the mall. Mm. This is before I became a behavior analyst. I was in college because I was like, dude, why, why are you just stuffing your face? Because you broke <laughs> up with your girlfriend. And then he said, he literally said, because when I eat, I feel like the food loves me. Wow. I mean, that stuck with me. And mm. I was just like, I was in school then to be a teacher or to be like a writer. I always wanted to be a writer. So I think I was just taking my undergrad in, in English literature. And I remember that stayed with me. I can still see it clearly because I thought it was so strange and it was so odd because that's not how I respond to sadness. I respond to sadness by not eating. I respond to sadness by reading a book, like escaping yeah, yeah. emotion altogether, mm -hmm. right? So I engage in escape maintained behaviors. I you know, kind of don't want to, whereas this person just wanted to eat. And he's, he said, I feel like the food loves me. And I wonder if that's what happens for those people that are emotional eaters, right? Yeah. We call them emotional eaters. So the antecedent is a certain level of emotion and the desire to escape from that emotion. So I engage in all this, whatever it is, really harmful behaviors, which is overeating, and the consequences, I feel loved somehow. Yeah. And so I will continue to engage in that in the future. The problem with that is once I'm that that feeling is gone, I feel worse now. Like, man, you know, some people like engage in, you know, self-deprecation. Like, oh, you fat pig, why did you just do that? Now mm -hmm. you really won't find anyone. Now I'm sad again and you end up in a loop and then I'm going to reach now for that ice cream because I'm now sad, compounded by the breakup with me now saying these bad things about myself because now I'm gaining weight. And then it just, and that's really when you need a coach to come in and say, oh, let's put the brakes on this. Yeah. <laughs> Put the brakes on this. Let's reframe the way we're looking at this whole entire situation. And that's what we do in behavior analysis is we 
manipulate the antecedent or the consequence so that the behavior will be altered. Wow. And that's really, that's the science of behavior, mm, right? That's whatever yeah. color, whatever background, whatever gender, it's, it's the antecedent behavior consequence. All of us as babies, the antecedent is we're hungry. The behavior is we cry. The consequence is mama gives us milk. Mm, yeah. it's, it, and then it, it, it goes into adulthood. The antecedent is we've got a bunch of bills and we need to pay the bills. The behavior is we work. And the consequence is we have a paycheck that can then pay those bills. So no matter, even if we don't like that behavior, if the consequence is potent enough, then we're going to keep engaging in that behavior because it gives us access to the consequence. I hate my job, but I'm going to keep working because it gives me access to the paycheck that allows me to meet the antecedent, which is all my bills. And that, that spans, that's, it spans in relationships, business, how we deal with each other, that equation, this is how we learn. That's a science of learning, really. The child learns, oh, I cry to get milk, right? We adults yeah. learn, oh, I work to get a paycheck. That, that, that science is for every existing, living, breathing human being. So for coaches, you need to understand or your client needs to really be able to identify what are my triggers? What are the reinforcers? What's that behavior I engage in that's set off by that trigger? And what's the consequence that follows that makes me continue the same exact behavior that I cannot even stand? Well, you keep engaging in a behavior you can't stand because somehow it gives you access. Yeah, so good. So what are you saying? It's really a learned behavior, like learned behavior, right? Yeah, Everything is yeah, all picked up. science of learning. Right. Science of learning, right. ABA yeah. is based on the science of learning. Yeah, and it's like it equates to, you know, like the, the power of a habit. Like Charles Duhigg, he talked about three things, the three elements, right? He talked about uh, the first is the, the trigger. What's the trigger? And then followed by the ritual, right? And then the reward. Yeah. yeah so again, right, it's a habitual loop. Yeah. yeah. And you get you get in that in that loop. I mean, and I and we come in and we we kind of reframe that loop, right? Yeah. So yeah. years ago, here's an example. Years ago, I went into a home and there was a nine-year-old boy in the home, and I went there to evaluate for a, a family um, and this little boy had autism. And I walked in and he was on his phone, right? And grandma was there. I was just there to evaluate. I wasn't there to treat. I wasn't there to implement an intervention. I was there to evaluate, to get a baseline of where the child is at his level uh, of functioning. And grandma takes the phone from him and immediately he punches his face, oh. right? Nine years old. He really didn't have functional language, functional communication skills. So grandma mm. says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Mm. You know, Anna Marie is here. She needs to, to, to work with you or whatever, uh, whatever it was that she said. Stop doing that. And he continues to punch his face. Eventually, grandma hands him back the phone. Right? right. So the antecedent was desire to get that phone. The behavior was punching my face. And the consequence was he got the phone. 
So he's learned, oh, when A, I have a desire to get that phone, I want that phone. B, I engage in punching my face. Yeah. C, I access the reinforcer that I want. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So I sat in front of him and I took the phone from him and I knew what would come next, right? I knew what would happen next as a behavior analyst. He went to punch his face. So I blocked his arm so he mm. couldn't reach his face. And I said, phone. And he said, phone. He echoed. Then I gave him the phone. Right? right? So the antecedent was still the same. He wanted to get the phone. The behavior responds. He went to punch his face. I didn't allow him to engage in that. I gave him a replacement response, which is echo this word phone. And when he mm -hmm. echoed it, I gave him the phone. You see that? Yeah. Um, I was helping oh. change that behavioral response. But he wasn't going to engage in that if he didn't have the a desire to access that phone. So I tried it again. I gave him the phone. He was playing with it for you know, a few seconds, I took it away from him. He went to punch his face again. I stopped him and I went phone and he repeated and I gave it to him. And we did that a few times, Karen, to where I would take the phone from him without punching his face. He would look at me and he would go phone and I gave it to him. Oh, wow. before, before I left, I mm. added another word because now he was consistently engaging in that behavioral response phone in order to gain access to the phone, right? So antecedent is he wanted the phone. I showed him an alternative response. Yeah. It's the only way he could access the phone if he engaged in this alternate behavior and he learned to do that. And then I added, please, phone, please, mm. right? So he was like, phone, please. By the time I left, as I was leaving that home, that grandmother was standing in the living room holding that phone and she's going, what do you want? And without punching his face, he's saying, phone, please. And she would oh, give him the phone. Wow. That's oh, right. Awesome. So this is a child mm. who's nine years old. And I come in that home and I'm there for an hour and a half. And behavioral change took place, but not without that intrinsic motivation from the child, the desire to access that phone. And I showed him the alternative response before accessing that reinforcer. Wow. So I the, just thought, mm, yeah. 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 So your teaching has actually allowed him to pick up new neural pathways, right? So when, when we yeah. learn new things, new neural pathways are formed in the brain, right? In, and also in the uh, corpus striatum to ensure that we actually get uh, the good benefits or we feel the good benefits, right? That's when we feel that the dopamines are actually, you know, um, allowing us to yeah achieve something. So with well, I that, mean, all I did, all I did was provide him uh, an alternative response, right? Right. So, yeah. So I mean, yeah, and and that's and I in essence that's that's what you do. And a lot of people mm -hmm. they want they're they're engaging in X Y Z behaviors not because they're so terrible, but it's because they don't know what to do otherwise. They don't know the alternative behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, this is so good. Yeah. So there are so many such cases, right, like in your field of work, right, and also like um, 
you know, earlier you talk about the relationship with food. So in my one of my episodes in my podcast, I mentioned about this. I mentioned about the donut. And and you're so right about the emotional eating because a lot of people when they binge eating or they emotional eat, right, they tend to have an emotional state. Usually it's very negative that's linked. Right. That's why, you know, like this, like comfort foods, right? That's how comfort foods came, came about, right? But, you know, it's really a myth, right? So it really doesn't give you that comfort, right? Food is food, right? It's either it feeds you or not. Yeah. So the thing is, like, people tend to relate food with feelings, right? And yeah. that's how they tend to lose control. So in my podcast, um, I basically talked about the relationship with food. So when you have, uh, a bad day when you're unhappy before you even go for pizza or anything else you want to ask yourself what is your now what is your current emotional state mm-hmm. right yeah and then and then you also want to check in with yourself right what are the benefits of eating this right so yeah. it's like to me right i like when i eat something it's really about eating food that reciprocate my love yeah Right. So that's why, like for me, right, if I go for blueberries, I need to know that blueberries reciprocate my love. So they give me antioxidants. <laughs> right? ah. And since so it's a brain food, right? Yeah. So if I eat donut, oh my goodness, donut right, gives you diabetes, heart attack, all kinds of chronic problems, right? So do I want to eat Not that? Not if you eat it oh. once in a while, Karen. <laughs> okay. I know. I'm just being There's hard no on you. You <laughs> deprive yourself. Otherwise, you're going to be like two o'clock in the morning, eating in a corner, eating a whole dozen of donuts, one after the other. Oh, I haven't been eating donuts for a while. I think it's been probably been 10 years. Like I used to love uh, Krispy Kreme or I, Team Harden's donuts. 1,000% do not agree in full deprivation. There are people right. who are like, no carbs whatsoever or no sweets whatsoever. I get just because of my understanding of human behavior. I'm like, yeah. when you do that type of deprivation, unless really there's just no desire for it, but if there's a desire for it and you put these rules in place and you say the things that you desire for, you're going to deprive yourself from. Yeah. I mean, you just based on human behavior, when you deprive someone of something that they really want, you just increase increase that mo that's right just increase that desire and there's only you can only do that for so long and then there's an engagement of overindulgence then Mm -hmm. that could be self-injurious because you've been deprived for so long this is why like people cheat right i'm not Mm -hmm. i'm not saying cheating is allowed or that's okay but okay we're going totally going off a tangent but Everything that we do as human beings, when we engage in behaviors that are like questionable, things like that, there's, you know, it's, it's at the heart of the antecedent and the consequence. Really, it's at the heart of the trigger and the reinforcer. Yeah. Oh, this is good. We can go on and on and on, but I think time is running up, right? You know, I'm going to have you back again. We can talk about another different thing, probably Asperger's syndrome or autism. But for now, I just want to end by saying, go check out Anna Marie's podcast, right? It's the Behavior Couple podcast on Spotify, Apple, and also check out Anna Marie's Instagram, which is go. Anna Marie, your Instagram. A Dorillion BCBA. A D O R E L I E N B C B A. And awesome. that's public. Don't worry, I'll put it on my show notes and I'll, I will list her Instagram handles. And also, we are on Clubhouse. 
right? Yeah. So Clubhouse is a new app. Yeah. So um, with that, what what is one thing that you would like to say to my audience about behavior change? Go. Um, I think you really need to identify your antecedents and your reinforcers. You need to identify the triggers and the rewards um, in order for you to figure out why you may be engaging in behaviors that you don't even like engaging in. So if you can identify the antecedent and the consequence, you'd be able to actively engage in your own behavior change and help your coach empower you towards that change. Wow, so good. I love you, Anne-Marie, and I'm so glad to have known you in my life. And yeah, and with that, thank you for listening to Make Smart Sexy. Go and subscribe, leave me a review. And till next time, goodbye. Bye-bye.